Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, along with my driving force, my daughter and co-host, Lauren Simonian, welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, or simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. So Lauren, you are my driving force. Wow, that's such a nice compliment. Thank you. And it's just a massive coincidence <laughs> that our title today is Have To's, Want To's, What's the driving force in your life? We'll get to that in a moment. But last week, I don't know if you remembered, uh, I'm sure you also forgot to bring in the little bell, right? You know what? I tried to get wah, the little wah, bell, but it's wah, in my wah, classroom. Wah, I can't get it wah, until September. Wah, wah. Sorry. So last week, I mentioned that I would introduce a new segment to our show. Now, it doesn't have to stay. We'll try it out if it works. We'll keep it. And if it doesn't work, we'll trash it. And if we get thousands of people just tuning out because of this, we'll know. <laughs> now, as you Sounds know, like a risky little experiment here. Oh, it's very risky. I mean, we're just rolling the dice. Oh, gosh. Hang okay. in there. You know, but I do think our self-coaching podcasts, they, they need to provide serious wellness content. No, no question about that. But, but I, you know me, I like humor. And I truly believe that we humans, we crave feel-good moments of levity. We like to laugh, you know, and I think it's it lightens our load a bit. So to this end, let me ask you, do you know what time it is? Uh, pep talk time already? No, 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 no. Good guess, though, because every week we do pep, pep talk time. Yeah, but not usually till the end. So uh... it's baby boomer time. Where each week we take a walk down boomer lane. Introducing millennials to the halcyon bliss that once was. Now, let me ask you, because this is baby boomer time, and we each week I'd like to bring up a boomer issue that I'm sure millennials have no clue. But have you ever heard of SNH green stamps? SNH green stamps. No, I've heard of stamps. Okay. Well, green stamps, every time, now this is going back into the 50s that I recall, but they did last for quite a while beyond the 50s. But whenever you went to a checkout counter or a gas station or some other retail store, when you made a purchase, you would get so many green stamps. And then you would have these books. And I think the books are about 24 pages. And you would lick those stamps, lick, 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 and you would paste them into your book. And when you filled up a book, I'm, in fact, I know the we no one could see this but you. But this is our SNH book, and you can see it's a little kind of a little pocket book. And it, this one happens to be filled with stamps. This this little booklet was given to us by our friend Jenny, who collects antiques because now boomer stuff is considered antique stuff. Although I, I resent the notion, but nevertheless, green stamps. You would fill up your booklet. And you would start to accumulate booklets. And then you would go to a redemption store, not for your soul, 
but where you could redeem your little green books with all those stamps, and you can get pots and pans and appliances, corningware, toys. Everyone knew the SNH green stamp. And I'll finish up, and I know this is getting boring, but on the back of the little SNH book, it reads, and only 1,200 stamps to fill this book. So that's a lot of licking. I just, I'm still really baffled by this. Go buy more things. You know how motivating it was to, to see your book almost filled up? You'd run back to the store, give me 32 cases of milk, quick. You know, yeah. you'd run back and you'd lick your stamps and you'd throw them in the old book. Oh my gosh, it was a wonderful time. But, but what do you think about the uh, Howdy Doody song, the intro? I've heard that song before. It's cute. I like it. You know, I, I well, I was addicted to it as a kid. I, but how did there was the peanut gallery? That's where all the little kids would sit, and these were like three, four, five year old kids, and they would be screaming and screaming. And according to the plot of the TV show. The, the whole program took place in Dutyville, D-O-O-D-Y, Dutyville. <laughs> Talk about a double entendre. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that could pass muster today. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to have to's, want to's. What's your driving force? But, but let me ask, let's, let me start out with a question and, and we'll see where this takes us. Recently, I saw someone in the neighborhood out on the lawn uh, and he was on his knees and he was picking, I guess, weeds, but uh, he was just one weed at a time, picking, picking and moving around very slowly, getting every single weed. And I went out and came back about an hour later, he was still there picking weeds. Don't you think most people would, would, would ride by and say, oh, he's so compulsive. He must have OCD. Don't you think that would be a, a general kind of response that most people might say? Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. Like I, from the outside looking in, but you wonder, it depends on where that person's headspace was, like what their exactly. purpose for, exactly. for doing it. Was. There you go. You just, you see, that's why I, I really feel you're my driving force because <laughs> it's the purpose. What's the driving force behind picking those weeds? Now, if the driving force is self-actualization, then this is something that gives pleasure to this person. It is, it is something that he truly enjoys. He is looking at this lawn as an expression of his own potential and getting a lot of just personal satisfaction. So let's, let's talk about those things that to outsiders might seem as OCD or compulsive, <laughs> but maybe positive forces, for example, and you always come to this. So let's talk about the marathon. Most people might say the training and the, all that is, is quite compulsive, but would you say that's a positive or a negative? Well, I'm obviously biased, but I, would, I think it's a positive experience. Although I do think that there is, you know, it, it's the experience itself could become something that is compulsive or not. It all depends on the way you approach it. And so I think the way that your mindset is framed will determine whether or not the behaviors you participate in are compulsive or healthy. Well, doesn't it, doesn't it have to do with why you're running the marathon? 
I guess it partially has to do with why, but there's also, I think sometimes our minds, when we feel unsafe in some way, or if we don't trust that we're able to accomplish the things that we want, I think sometimes our insecurities take over. And that's where, at least for me, that's where like the compulsive thoughts will come in, which is like, well, maybe I need to run, you know, seven days this week instead of five. Like it's like they suggest, you know, it's, it's like, how do I, how do you temper your, you know, compulsive mm-hmm. mind that's trying to make you feel safe? Like, well, if you do a little more, then you'll definitely be ready. You know, you're like a hammer. You just always hit the nails right on the head. <laughs> but there you go. See, so you made the distinction. And the distinction is whether something is more for self-actualization or if it's driven by insecurity. There you go. That's the distinction. So if I'm running a marathon and I'm running seven days a week because that is a way for me to self-actualize, then that's significant. And I think that one of the things is, or one way to tell the difference is that with something that is positive and driven by a positive life force, we have choice. We, it becomes a want to. Now, you and I have both run numerous marathons, and I think you will agree, and I will agree, that as much as you have to be compulsive, it's still every training session that you have is still a want to, even though it feels like a have to. And, you, you know, I've got to run so many miles and so many miles. I mean, it seems a bit compulsive, but I know that I, I was able to take a day off if I had to do something else that was more important. And so have to's, you don't have a choice. And when it's compulsive, you really don't have a choice. You are driven by, as you said, the insecurity. Mm, Yeah. And if you choose, well, I guess it's like you said, it's not a choice. So if you don't do something and your mind is having compulsive thoughts, you're going to feel really, really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so the positive, let's stick with the positive want-tos, the positive force. And let's say one thing about the positive force that drives us, the, the non-insecurity-driven neurotic compulsive force. One thing about the positive force is that you always have a choice. So let's, let's keep that in mind. And as, as difficult as it is, I mean, if you, if you run, if your intention is to run seven days a week and someone calls and says, I, I need you to come to work on whatever, and you have to give it up, you may grumble, but you can do it. It's not like you can't do it. But with compulsive insecurity driven, the, 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 the have to becomes dominant and it, it owns you. Mm. I might have a compulsive dessert eating problem as you're describing what compulsive <laughs> thinking sounds like. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a bad habit I've developed lately. Oh no. Because if I, yeah, like, you know, I, I don't know, just thinking like my husband's mother made us the most delicious brownies last week mm. so I decided to have you know like one a week maybe but just the other night like I could not stop thinking about the brownie and I felt like if I didn't have it there was going to be some sort of consequence <laughs> your husband's mother is quite a cook there's no question oh, yeah, about is. that I'm sure those brownies were a little bit more special not that they had any kind of addictive ingredients in them but more special than usual (laughs) a lot of love (laughs) there you go but uh, what about hobbies now what's my compulsion what's what would you say i'm compulsive about i know oh my gosh (laughs) easy now (laughs) you are a compulsive astronomer yeah 
Yeah. That's very true. That's you stay a, well, outside that, till two in the morning. Doing yeah, your... and that's that's been that really well. Again, you see how we throw that word compulsive in discussing what we were going to talk about today. You and I had a discussion about how that word compulsivity is is really not a great word for positive things, is it? Yeah, it does not have a positive connotation. That's for sure. So there's no question that I am obsessed is that any, any better <laughs> is uh, obsessed and compulsive the, th- the same thing would you say obsessive well, they joined compulsive. at the hip that's why they have ocd obsessive compulsive uh, disorder uh, they are joined at the hip now the difference is that obsessions are mental thoughts and compulsions are physical behaviors so oh, they, they are joined at the hip we can get really and we don't have a good word not compulsive Driven is driven a better word, driven to do certain things to actualize. I suppose, yeah, it's almost like an addictive clinging to something. Ah, this is a negative no? word, addictive again. No, 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 no. Yeah, let, let, we'll get into addictions in a second, but yeah, you could say, see, and here we go where where my addiction to astronomy the word works because to any outsider it seems like an addiction but again remember going back to that nail you hit on the head when you called it insecurity driven Mm -hmm. if it's driven by insecurity then i'm not pursuing astronomy as a form of self-actualization i'm pursuing it because of some inner deficiency that i'm trying to compensate Hmm. You kind of get that. So so the astronomy would be a vehicle for me to feel better about myself since I can't feel better about myself naturally. Interesting, which is not the case, obviously. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So because there's plenty of people that have passions and are dedicated to their craft or their um, Mm -hmm. their hobby without being compulsive. Of course. Take a musician or a singer or an artist. Yeah. So I don't know if you're compulsive. No, 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 I'm not saying I'm compulsive. I'm saying we need to find a better word for what what I am and and other driven people are. Well, we'll we'll come up with something as we talk, but it's it's compulsive, but we need to find a more positive word for it. Driven, how about driven? Driven, okay, so then just to be clear, what is, what exactly are we, uh, (laughs) what are we talking about? (laughs) Here we go again. Just like last week, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? No, so like I understand that we want to make a distinction between healthy and unhealthy levels of uh, commitment Mm -hmm. and I guess and behaviors. Okay, and so you were able to distinguish that by saying, if you're doing something for the sake of feeling better about yourself if you're doing something in the service of self-actualization okay then it's good or not good well why would why well why wouldn't it be good if you're trying to actualize your potential as a human being right and and that and that gives you pleasure okay why wouldn't it be good well okay i agreed but is Mm -hmm. there where so where is the dangerous part that we're trying to okay i'm glad you asked because the dangerous part comes in not so much when you're doing something to self-actualize but when you're doing something to compensate insecurity and that's where we get into let's take the obvious and that would be 
addictions, an addictive compulsion. We don't do that to self-actualize someone who is an alcoholic or even a workaholic or a chocoholic. You know, we're, we're not we're not doing it to self-actualize. We're doing it to kind of compensate for the small feelings we have, the the depressive depressive feelings we feel. So when things are in service of insecurity, they are negative to our full potential because basically what we're doing is we're responding to insecurity and not a drive for full actualization. I I see. That makes sense. So then I'm I'm having this image of someone who might have OCD or just a person in general um, who is like organizing every last thing in their home and making sure that uh, they're like safeguarding against any potential clutter or um, whatever. And and that is unhealthy because it's not in the service of self-actualization. It's in the service of protection. Right. And let me throw in a monkey wrench, but it could be. Mm, like okay. th- th- there are many healthy people who really like organized things because just like the artist who wants to create a canvas, getting a closet organized in a certain way can certainly produce for us, for some people, a, a sense of completion, organization, fulfillment, you know, that could be a self-actualized expression projected outward. So it's not necessarily driven by insecurity, but it could be mm. because the insecure person, on the other hand, feels out of control when the closet's not organized. So that's an expression of their own inner sense of being out of control. And it, they don't want to organize that closet as a statement of actualization or fulfillment. They want to organize the closet. And here's the key, because they have no choice. They have to organize the closet. Or, and if they can't get to it, then they ruminate about it. They obsess over it. They can't sleep at night. You know, so the the neurotic aspect of insecurity comes into play with driving behaviors that are really driven by insecurity. Hmm. Okay. So then I guess one way to assess our own lives is to realize when we feel really uncomfortable missing out on something or like when we can't when we can't get to a certain activity or chore just to notice what the reaction is in our in our Mm -hmm. body and our mind and then we can tell whether or not we're in a healthy very good yeah yeah you got to do you got to take pause and ask the question what's driving this and and also you might ask do I have a choice Uh, if if you are driven to a point where you feel I, I have no choice uh, that's usually a tip off that you're, you're, you know, you are not doing this out of a sense of self-actualization. But, 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 you know, I always say that the person that's fully conscious always has a choice. And yeah. you, you might say, oh, I have no choice. I have to go to work. Or you may feel right now, I have no choice. I have to survive this podcast. But the truth is, yeah, you, you, could, you could walk out on me and just leave me hanging in the lurch right now. That would be a terrible thing to do. Especially since I'm your driving force, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, before. driving forces don't, you know, abandon people midstream. But but you could. But you could. There's a and, and that's the key. Yeah, you might feel I have to go to work. I have a family to feed. Yeah, okay, it's true. But you still have a choice not to. You can quit your job, go out on the street, get another job, struggle along. But you you, you really do have choice. When insecurity drives, you are so driven by the notion that you don't have a choice that you become ensnared and trapped by these compulsive behaviors. 
Hmm. I almost got trapped the other day in, this is a really silly example, but, and I guess it speaks to like superstition, but I had gone to uh, the same doctor three times in, in a short period of time. And every time I showed up, I pulled into the same parking spot, number 11, which is my favorite number. And, uh, the the third time that I went, when I went to pull into spot number 11, there was already a car there. And I had this like moment, maybe even longer than a moment where I kind of just sat there. I mean, there were plenty of other spots open, but there was this feeling of like, I needed that spot. Like that was my lucky spot in order to, <laughs> you know, make sure my day was going to go as planned. And so I wound up like eventually kind of laughing at myself once I like really realized what was happening. But for a minute or so, I actually felt like I needed that particular spot. It was like a compulsive feeling of like, I don't know what I'm going to do if I can't park here. I don't know. uh, You know, I am so glad you brought that up because (laughs) that's another aspect of this that I think, I think it's, it's kind of in the realm of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, but, and, and I've always, you know, looked at, at, obsessive and compulsive behavior sometimes as being potentially normal or potentially neurotic. And, and I think most people will agree that we all have kind of quirks, superstitious quirks. Uh, Someone's, you know, you sneeze and then you hope I'm not getting sick, knock, knock, knock on wood. So, so we all have these little quirks, but it doesn't make us obsessive compulsive neurotics. And, you know, superstition is, is really one of those things where we feel that, you know, we really have to protect ourselves or, or to control fate. Now, that's, that's my definition of OCD, mm-hmm. is that you feel that you, you have to control fate. And that's what the ritualistic behavior is about. I remember working with a, a client a long time ago, and uh, he, he would have to, at a red light, he would have to get out of his car physically, turn around three times, tap once on the car roof and get back in the car hmm. before he could go before. And whether the light turned green or not, he had to do this. And he would do that in order to prevent, in his mind, having an automobile accident. And of course, to the chagrin of everyone parked behind him and the horns blowing, it, it didn't matter. He had to do that. And and various experiences I've had with, with patients, um, you know, just germophobia, you know, just a excessive washing of the hands, knocking three times before you enter a room. All these kind of ritualistic behaviors are very indicative of OCD. Oh, I do the knock on wood, the yeah, knock on wood in case you don't want something you said to really happen. Yeah. And that's why I say there's, there, there's a, 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 I always, in, in all these podcasts, you hear me talk about a continuum. And on, on one extreme of the continuum, we have the ritualistic, obsessive, and compulsive behavior of the OCD neurotic person. And on the other hand, we have, you know, just normal superstitious kind of stuff that, you know, we were all on some level wishing that we could just avoid friction in life, control fate a little bit. So we knock on wood because it makes us feel that we're we're somehow having a play with fate and, and, and protecting ourselves from things going awry, getting sick and stuff like that. So there is some normal or normalcy to just being a bit neurotic, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess a, <laughs> if it doesn't really affect your your day or your your way of 
living. Like if it doesn't have an impact beyond just that behavior, then it probably doesn't really matter, right? Well, it's you at the parking space. Yeah, I mean, you know, you had that, you know, you were trying to control fate in the sense that, you know, your luck, put that in quotes, your luck was dependent on getting into that spot. Mm -hmm. So a part of you was wanting to not test fate. You know, the black cat walking in front of you, the mirror that cracks. All of these things are are understandable because there's a super superstitious side to our psyche. I mean, do yep. you, you agree with that? Yeah. I the other the other day, actually, the same day that I couldn't find this parking spot, <laughs> my husband came came upstairs and he said that he saw a black cat pass his cross <laughs> pass his cross his path, but. He was sure to tell me that it had a white paw, which he thinks <laughs> which might mitigated. have. Yeah. yeah, exactly. We think that somehow was a was a silver lining. Yeah, um, and, there, and there are yeah. some people that are really into uh, you know trying to control fate, but but the OCD person specifically, even though it may not be conscious, they need to do what they need to do, or else, mm-hmm. you know, you need to check that stove five times or else. And the or else could be anything, a house burning down. You know, it's just that you you are only safe and you are only feeling safe when you do your ritual. So it's right. so we could on the other end of the continuum knock on wood and just feel a little bit excused from bad things happening. Or if you're OCD on the other end of the continuum, then you only feel safe if you get out of your car, spin around three times, knock on the hood and get back in the car. Uh, I, you know, to, to be honest with you, I, 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 I pretty much only twirl around twice. <laughs> I always wondered what you were doing. <laughs> I hide it. You know, I let people know. I just have. So, to. just out of curiosity, like, okay, so someone like your patient, do do they develop that ritual over time, or one day they just decide this is the magical number of times I have to twirl for me to be safe? You know, it's, it's a really good question, and. You know, it leads me to feel that that with OCD that, you know, it begins with, you know, an insecurity basis. And there may be some organic implications why some people might be more susceptible to this. But insecurity uh, needs to be addressed. So when you are not driven by positive forces and you feel that the insecurity, which is driving that negative force in you, you, you have to find a way to mitigate that pressure. So quite by accident, you know, someone might recognize that just like when you knock wood, that that's a kind of a learned behavior. And, you know, the person uh, just may con- the notion that if I, if I get out of my car and twirl around, um, you know, I'm really undoing any of the damage fate can have on me. Once, once you do it, though, then you're, you're locked into it. And it could progress. You could become okay. more you know, instead of knocking three times, you may conclude at some point that you really have to knock five times and it can really control your life and then hand washing and stuff like that. So there's no reason why these these kind of behaviors can't escalate. But see, the problem is you never really feel safe because you're really not doing anything about the insecurity. Mm. What you're doing is you're really trying to compensate and no matter what you do on the outside, the insecurity is still driving this and driving it. So you you become locked into a dance between compulsive behavior to mitigate insecurity and insecurity only being fed by doing that. Yeah. And I guess when you're further on the intense side of the continuum, it's almost impossible to just say like, 
you know, try not doing it and see what happens, yeah. you know, cause I feel like with, with people that aren't struggling quite as intensely, you could probably just suggest like, you know, try to break away from that mm-hmm. thing just one time for, even if it's just, you know, for a short amount of time and see that nothing Mm-hmm. Cr- crumbles <laughs> you know, what happens oftentimes is that you might say that to somebody and it's it's totally logical and of course a lot of this behavior is just irrational and illogical so and i the reason i bring that up is because if someone is kind of on the edge where you can reach them with just some rational thought and reframing some of that thinking and feeling you know that's one thing but for people that are more entrenched i find that you you really have to help them understand what the motive is for mm-hmm. for obsessive behavior, compulsive behavior, and the motive, of course, is to control fate. Now, right, which is giving a lot of power to oneself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, actually, that's a good point. Actually, it's not giving power to yourself; it's giving power to the ritual. The ritual has the power. Mm. So, so I try to help people understand that, you know, the, the reason they're trying to control fate is because, and we come back to the insecurity basis, insecurity is saying you're not up to handling life and you're not up to handling what might come around the corner. You need help. So mm. help comes in the form of compulsive behavior. Yeah. It all makes sense. Uh, and, and that's the problem is that, you know, once these things become habituated, there, there really is no more common sense involved with this. It now becomes less than conscious, just reflexive behavior. Hmm. So in my current situation, I'm now trying to reflect on whether or not this is compulsive or not, because I'm not <laughs> sure if it's self-actualizing, but I'll be going back to teaching in a couple of weeks and also have self-studios classes that I'm teaching. And so my days are going to go from being, you know, rather fluid right now in the summer to really, really busy. In order to prepare for that, like I've had this mission in my mind to have my 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 health as a priority. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out exactly like what am I going to be eating? How am I going to prepare the food? What is my grocery list going to look like week to week? You know, and, and I even was asking mom for help to figure out a menu. And, you know, even she kind of thought I was a little crazy because I was like, I need to know exactly what foods to buy and like when it's going to go bad. And I want to write down like what meals to make with what food and what day I'm going to prepare this. And, you know, it sounds crazy when I say it, but somehow in my mind, like knowing that I won't have a lot of time and that I don't want that to um, go to the wayside it's like I have to put a lot of attention on it but then there's the have to I don't you know, know but but the have to's can be driven by by a need for for just actualizing you are actualizing your need to stay healthy and you are responding to that you realize the demands are coming up and you're taking a rational approach now if you were to tell me that I'm doing all of this because I have to control what's going to happen, I have to not let myself get sick. You know, it's nice to want that. But if you feel that you 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 really can't allow yourself to get sick, that's where it can just, you know, morph into a compulsivity because you're uh, saying, okay. you're saying I, I, I can't get sick. I can't get sick. And you start driving yourself crazy because now you're doing all of this not to get really healthy and, and just feel good about yourself and function, but you're doing it out of fear of getting sick. So it takes on that more neurotic flavor. Again, the insecurity comes into it. Now, that's not to say, and again, look at the continuum. 
Uh, on one extreme, you know, we are cavalier about certain things, and on the other is the OCD. But in the middle is where most of us fall. So I'm sure most people listening this, to this can relate to your experience of, you know, wanting to take charge of life and feeling like you you have to stay healthy, you have to do things that, and and there's a common sense to that, but it's driven by a need to to have a healthy potential life where you are actualizing all your potential. So it's not driven by negativity. Okay. You know what That's comes to, to my mind is, for example, most people would say, you know, it's it's a nice thing to have money mm. because then you can afford food, you can afford living quarters, you can afford clothing. But what happens when when all of a sudden you have to have money because without money you become absolutely paranoid and you have to, you know, you have to really control what's coming. You have to know. 50 years from now that you will still have clothing and food and this and that. So, so you, money can become very compulsive. And, you know, a lot of people are very compulsive about money and the accumulation of money, wealth. Uh, it can go with many things, status. We, we can become compulsive about just anything that insecurity says we need to control because we're trying to compensate for that inadequacy we feel. So money, power, status, these, these are ways that we often try to compensate for our own inadequacies. And these can all become compulsive strategies. Hmm. Makes sense. So, so you're, you're about to go back to teaching. Is that, that's, a, that's a bit intimidating after all this with COVID. And uh, how do you feel about that? I feel excited, actually. I, I like the, I always loved the beginning of the school year, ever since I was a kid. So it's, there's a lot of, you know, just new and exciting energy and especially going from the lull of summer into the intensity of the fall. I always like that shift, but I also, I think every year there's like a very low level of anxiety that starts to come up right around this time where it's like, how do you set yourself up for success? Cause mm -hmm. I know as soon as, you know, when things shift drastically in life, we often kind of get taken with the flow and if you don't prepare ahead of time it like yeah I can throw you so mm -hmm. um, yeah I think there's a little bit of trepidation just in terms of you know mm -hmm. wanting to be ahead of well low level of anxiety is is really instrumental in motivating us and you know before a race before going back to teaching whatever it might be you know some anxiety can be, you know, just, just incentivizing. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, one thing I always felt about you aside from being my life force is that you, you've always had the ability to, to really push toward your own potential and your ability to really appreciate life. And, and if anything, you know, you're kind of a role model for me in terms of actualizing rather than being driven by negative or insecure forces. You're driven by that need to reach that full potential. And it's evident in everything you do. And it's evident in your teaching and the, you know, just, just the response and feedback you've gotten from the community. It works for you because, you know, you are articulating exactly who and what you are. And it's not contaminated by, you know, insecurity or compulsive needs. Wow, that's so nice. Thank you, Dad. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to give you that because you know, <laughs> I was I was feeling a little bit pressed because do you know what? Oh my God. Lauren. What you know, do you know what time it is? Um, well, I know it is not millennial boomer time, so <laughs> it must be. Yeah.
Stop touching! No, no, pep talk time! Let's try that again. It's self-coaching pep talk time. And today's pep talk is what's driving your life. It's important to differentiate normal from neurotic behavior. And you do this by asking, what's driving my behavior? Whether it's getting that closet organized just so, or not missing your jog each morning. When your behavior is driven by positive desire and a sense of well-being, that's healthy. And that's normal. But when your behavior is driven by insecurity and you feel like you don't have a choice when you have to, then that's unhealthy. Many addictions and destructive behaviors fall into this category. So starting today, ask one simple question. Is the driving force in my life a desire for self-actualization or is it an insecurity-driven attempt to over-control life? Mm. I like that. That gives. That's a nice action step. Oh, good. So um, before we close, I would like to just reiterate it's howdy doody time it's howdy doody and as we recede into dutyville <laughs> oh, god i'm glad you crack yourself up <laughs> you believe, i i just hope people can understand that there is a there is a difference between serious joe luciani and humor <laughs> I, and the, I mean, and the other me. <laughs> yeah. I can be serious. I, I mean, I, I, I tell you, if I had to, I could do a completely serious podcast, but it would bore me. <laughs> yeah, I can't. It's why I always have had a hard time picturing your professional self because you're so anyone Personal listening to this is, is so... probably asking the same question. Yeah, right? <laughs> oh <laughs> no, but gosh. I've heard you do book talks and things before, and you're very professional and impressive. Well, thank you. You know, Carl Jung, C.G. Jung, the, the Swiss psychiatrist, uh, he once said that he had uh, he worried a great deal and had a lot of trepidation about any patient who didn't have a sense of humor. And, and, I, and I agree with that. People that are so serious and don't have a sense of humor, that tells you something a little bit awry is going on in their psyche. So uh, I've always, and I do use humor in, in therapy, not, not as much as in our podcast, but, but every once in a while, because I, I need to almost check that out to see if someone is so, <laughs> what? what are you laughing at? I'm just laughing at you testing people out based on whether or not they laugh at your jokes. <laughs> What did the fish? What did the fish say when he ran into a wall? I know this one. Go ahead. What did he say? Damn. Damn. See that? That's Damn. a good sense of humor. That's good. Yeah. Well, that's lame, as you. I, I think I do, haven't. You always said that I'm the only person that laughs at every single one of your jokes. Oh, mom says that. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. You're funny. It's true. Mm. You know what uh, hemorrhoids are called at the North Pole? <laughs> no. Polaroids. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. All right. Are we done? I I think so. I actually really appreciate it. I feel like I got some good uh, therapy today. You wow. told me that I'm not really, I'm only a little bit compulsive on the scale of compulsivity and that <laughs> it's okay to prepare for changes. Well, I, but I also told you that you are my life force that hits all nails on the head. 
That's true. Yeah, I mean, that was... Yeah, and you brought up, you know, that very important distinction, you know, between healthy actualization and insecurity. Good for you. Wow. Okay. So we, 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 we had fun today and hopefully not too much fun. And as for the, the boomer segment, well, we'll see if it flies. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Don't be afraid. I, I, th- I feel like you have to let me know ahead of time, like what the boomer thing's going to be, because I need time to really understand that. Uh-huh. Like it just, it does. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe I just need to get a little quicker. No, no, no. I understand. Okay. We'll do. I, I'm going to research it. What is it called again? SNH Green Stamps. SNH Green Stamps. I'm going to see if there's anything on YouTube that will catch me up to speed. Oh, there's plenty. Okay. So that's it. That's it. Is, is it a wrap? It's a wrap. Okay. And visit our websites. Number one on the list Self Studios Learning. Dot com. See, I did it right, right? Good job, Dad. Self Studios Learning, one word, dot com. And this is our our sponsor for our, our podcast. And Lauren is the co-founder. And it's a wonderful, wonderful program. And you may want to check it out. And our yes. other podcast is, I'm sorry, were you going to say something? No, I just said, yes, please check it out. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and our other website, selfcoaching.net. Where you can learn more about our self-coaching philosophy. And while you're there and lingering, check out my latest <laughs> number one best-selling book, Unlearning Anxiety, Depression, the four-step self-coaching program to reclaim your life. And I have other books there too, you know, on relationships and dieting and weight loss and well, all kinds of good stuff. So check it out. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. And by definition, victims are powerless and you are not powerless. So remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join my life force, Lauren, and me (laughs) every week. And what do you say we make it simple together? Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams Don't surrender, there is more than it seems Hold on and fight, follow your heart This is-